You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is published by Theatre Communications Group, www.americantheatre.org. Welcome to Off Script, American Theatre's podcast on all things theatrical. I'm Allison Considine, the Associate Editor at American Theatre Magazine. This podcast episode is sponsored by Theatre Communications Group's Audience Revolution Program, which is funded by the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation. This is the final episode of a limited podcast series dedicated to exploring education and engagement programs at theatres. Hi, for today's episode, we have Eileen Morris, who's the Artistic Director of Ensemble Theatre Houston in Texas, and Sean Daniels, the Artistic Director of Merrimack Repertory Theatre in Massachusetts, and they're joining us via Skype. Today, we're going to be talking about education and engagement initiatives that start from the top. Sean and Eileen will both be talking about the education and engagement programs at their respective theatres and about how they help to lead those community initiatives. So, um... I'm with the Ensemble Theater, and the Ensemble Theater uh, is the oldest black professional theater in the Southwest. We're 42 years old, and we started out as a training education program. So we started in, uh, when our founder uh, founded the Ensemble Theater, he started touring a play that he had written and adapted, the Br'er Rabbit stories and tales, and we took those into schools and community organizations and churches. So our foundation is based upon training education. And, and then from there, we went into a main stage, uh, producing main stage shows, but we always kept the training education component of this institution because again, it's the platform by which we, we stand, so to speak. That's great. And what I've been learning when working on this October issue too was just how education departments and um, engagement departments, how that all functions within an organization and how it's organized. So Eileen, if you could just expand on that a little bit and and talk about um, how that work is done, like how it's executed and who's overseeing that, those programs at Ensemble Theater. Yeah, so how the work of training education is done through the ensemble? Yes, is there a point person who's in charge of the yes, touring? Yes, and- yes, so, um, so we have three major uh, producing components or program components uh, at the theater. One is main stage, the other is uh, touring and education, and, uh, and then the other one is our young performers training program. So under main stage, that normally includes six plays a year. Each play runs four to six weeks. We do anywhere between 20 three and 39 performances in main stage. But then also in addition to that, one of the things that we do with main stage, which also falls under training education. Uh, and we do have a, a, a person that works with our, with our program in that vein. And then we have contractual people that work with us in our young performers program. But the two, part of what we do with main stage for that lines that's aligned with touring and education is that we do student mat- student senior matinees. We call them our intergenerational matinees. And that's an opportunity for students and seniors to come together on any given Wednesday. Our wet matinees are normally Wednesday. There are three to four matinees per production, per main stage production. So even though it deals with main stage, it's still connected to touring and education. And that's an opportunity for each one teach one and to have that kind of cross blend of 
uh, generations coming together and learning from one another. So there's a dialogue exchange immediately following that particular production that uh, that we're doing. And every show has at least three to four intergenerational matinees that are done on that main stage production. In addition to that, we actually take plays that we have a roster of shows that we do, and they range from kindergarten to high school. And we take those to schools or community organizations or churches. And then we also, they can also come here to the theater as well and see some of those productions. It depends on what that production is and how that particular institution that's kind of uh, creating a partnership with the theater wants to make that happen. And now, Sean, I know a lot of the engagement work that's at Merrimack Repertory Theater kind of falls under the umbrella of audience engagement. So I didn't know if you can give an overview of the work that's being done at Merrimack. Sure. Um, we really try to practice what we call radical transparency with our community and in terms of letting them into every part of the building that they can be. Um, mm-hmm. it, start, it started I, I when I was working at Actors Theater of Louisville, I'd been on the job for six days and I got trapped at an airport with the board president for three hours. <laughs> and uh, at the at like two hours in, he was like, all right, can I ask you some questions, but you can't tell anybody that I asked you these things. And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, and his questions were, what does a lighting designer do? Why do yeah. all shows take three and a half weeks to rehearse? Yeah. Uh, and it was like, oh, you can become the president of a large organization and have no actual idea how <laughs> it was made, why it costs what it costs. Uh, and so if that's what board presidents think, what is the average person who visits you three times a year? They have no idea. Um, so when I took over the job here, we really started this idea of like radical transparency and let's invite the community into every part of the work that we do um you know because we're local the shows get made here they get rehearsed here they get put on and yet the people of our town probably know more about the upcoming star wars movie being filmed on the other side of the planet than they do about what's happening inside our space so the main thing we do is this thing called the cohort club where we invite community members in and they can come to anything they can come to production meetings they can come to rehearsals and all we do is we ask them to write about their experience every time that they're in the building we have, so they're uh, an artist also and then share that with their community and the, the great thing that it does is that it's taught them a fluency in terms of how the organization works why it costs what it costs the other thing is like you're more likely to listen to them than you are to us we say everything's yeah. great If you listen to some uh, friend of yours who has gone and seen something, four friends tell you, go see something, you probably go see it, right? Because you feel like those are both people. Uh, Other great thing that wasn't the intention of it was, you know, arts criticism uh, in the in the New England area will will be dead, you know, in our lifetime. And so, figuring out a way to be able to create content so people can talk about and put out there in the world is a real challenge for arts organizations. And so by having these advocates who are inside, who are writing about their own personal experience and sharing it, it's a way for uh, to get the word out and for people to be talking about it that isn't just us hyping ourselves over and over and over. So, uh, we've got board members out of it. Um, we uh, we even do we do a couple crazy engagement uh, things also. That have, uh, we do one thing called the confabulation where we invite audience members who didn't like a show to come in and talk with audience members who did 
Um, and actually, we got a board member out of that, someone that wrote in to say how much they didn't like a show, and by the time we were done, was a board member. Because uh, we're just all to contextualize the work that we do and try to make them part of a bigger conversation. Otherwise, they're just kind of thumbs up, thumbs down, American Idol. Did I like the show or did I not like the show? And we're always trying to engage them on a, on a deeper level, which it sounds like your, your theater is doing also, really trying to make it uh, the community own it and be a part of it. Right. And I think that that's, uh, Sean, that's, I love hearing those ideas that you all do, um, because that's what we all want is to be able to have our community buy into the institution, not just necessarily each partic particular production or piece of art that they're seeing, but understand that the, this institution is here for our community. And that happens in varied ways. So uh, it, it's, it thank you very much for sharing that. Um, yeah, there was, I, go ahead. No, oh, no, go on. I always think of like when you do community theater or high school theater, everybody bakes and brings food yeah. to opening night. And somehow when you do professional theater, nobody brings any food ever. So <laughs> there, like there's some way that somehow in adding rigor uh, and a level of professionalism to our field, we've lost the community buy-in in terms of everybody feeling like, you know, our community is putting on the show. We should all go support it. And I, and I right. feel like you're always trying to get in the best sense of the way, that community back into the work that we do. Absolutely, I think, and we one of the things that, well, a couple of things that we've continued to execute here at the ensemble. Um, so one of the things, one of our programmings, uh, which is falls under Turing Education, is called Celebrating the Creative Journey. And it's an opportunity for us to engage a variety, kind of a really, Kind of plethora of uh, different works, art forms that can be that are used throughout the year, and that's like our alternative programming. So it's not main stage, it's not totally a two ed or YP, but it's all these different things. So once a month, there's some activity, whether it be like tonight we have a staged reading of Pearl Clegg's two one act plays by Miss Pearl Clegg, who's out of it, uh, playwright in residence at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta. Yeah, and great. so she's absolutely fabulous. So we're doing three of her works this year uh, as, uh, as a part of our celebrating the creative journey to introduce people because they know her work, but these are some works of hers that they may not know. And then we do individual works by individual artists. So what we do is we provide a platform for our artists, meaning artists that have worked and had some relationship with the ensemble theater to submit a, a, uh, a, a an idea, a concept. And then we look at that and we had an outside kind of group help us to figure out out of these 10, 10 ideas that we got, which ones we will do because we can do one each season. I mean, one each semester, like one in the fall, one in the spring. And we provide them a space so they can use our black box space. They get to rehearse and then we provide technical support, and then we pay a small stipend to the artist. So that's another way of educating our community and saying, hey, here's something that might really fit into some work piece of art that you want to see. We do film series, so we maybe do two or three films throughout. We just had a film call about uh, the uh, in prison, the um, some that dealt with prison. Uh, in prison uh, situation called Canal Street that was filmed out of Chicago. That was just done last week. So every month there may be one or two things that are all that are part of the alternative programming that provides opportunities and different endeavors and different mediums like visual art, dance, spoken word, 
And, you know, you attach that with a group of people like our young professionals that come and, and help support that, or they come to be a part of that particular journey, but then it's still different than main stage. And again, it's all about, as you said, Sean, just trying to find ways to connect that uh, community. Uh, even with our like funders and our subscribers, four times a year, we bring them in and do what you just said, Sean, where you actually talk to them about what it means to be a lighting designer. You show them different avenues or you have the costume designer come and show them the sketches and then show them the finished product so they they feel like oh my goodness i didn't realize that this all of this went on into making art because of course they're just seeing when we get it done right they don't understand the three to four weeks rehearsal that you know how many hours a day the pre-production part of it when we tell people that we're planning our season now for 20, for 19, 19, 20, 20, 21. They're just floored. They don't believe right. you. Right. Right. Because they're going, why do you have to plan so far? It's like, because first of all, you have to get the work. You have to get funders. You've got to try to find artists. I mean, there's so many different elements and it's, it, it just does make them feel more committed to, and they feel like they have an, more of an investment. They feel like they, their voices have been heard by having to be able to be a part of all of these different opportunities within the institution that they call home. Sean, I was just curious too, were there any moments throughout the initial, uh, the start of the cohort club that were kind of aha moments or, or you know, discoveries that the audience and community members had about the process of developing and putting up a show? You know, I think the, the thing that I learned is that, um, I think we often underestimate the intelligence of our community. And so mm. I, I was worried that by bringing them into the process, they'd, you know, they'd watch the act on day four and the show's not very good and the, nobody knows their lines and word's gonna get out that the show's not good. And um, exactly the opposite was true. They were so impressed that people met each other at first yeah. rehearsal. They're like, I'm your lover, I'm your son. Uh, and by day four could even somewhat move around the space. Uh, they were so much more, you know, we all know if you work on a show, right, you kind of drink the Kool-Aid and then at some point <laughs> you just root for the show. And um, they did the same thing. So like when they saw a bad run through, they thought of it as like, oh, this is a step in how it's put together. This is fantastic. So they're, they're so much smarter than I think we often in artistic departments give our audience credit for right. it. They're, you know, they're, they, they love it. They want to know more about it. And chances are they didn't have a great arts education growing up. So it is all new to them in terms of how it comes together or, or what it does. Uh, listening to, uh, to you talk, we, we have a, a similar program that we started where we, we let visual artists create work around each piece of theater that we do. And we let the playwrights curate what the lobby looks like for each show. Oh, uh, great. And it's it's a uh, it's similar to what you're talking about. It's awesome in terms of yeah. you know, getting people to be creative around something that we do, uh, and inviting visual artists into our space because so often at every other theater I've worked at, you know, we kind of give some lip service to the other artists in town, but there isn't always an open door to them or a way to figure them out to bring them in. So I love what you guys are doing. So I imagine that the artists that you do reach out to or the other communities of artists is kind of um, dictated with what project or what show you're working on. But I was just curious if you could both talk about how you kind of bridge those connections and, and how you make those community partnerships happen 
for engagement? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I mean, that, you know, that's really a part of our thinking all the time, Allison, where we're always trying to think of at least a project or two throughout the year, whether it be connecting with our main stage production or connecting with the Celebrating the Creative Journey or something with our residency program, but it's always about how can we partner because we're embedded in the community. I mean, the Ensemble Theater is right in the heart of Midtown in Houston, Texas. And so we feel very connected to our community and, and as far as wanting to um, have more people be aware of who we are. We, we rent our space out uh, when it's available, the lobby and the performance center and the black box when it, it's available to different community members so that we they can see what the what we have to offer and they can feel that it's a part this building this space that we own is a very much a part of of their their community and their being able to have a platform to have their art presented. So I think the strategy, the strategy for us is what is the project? What is it that we are doing in the next couple of years? Because we're planning so far ahead, then we can say, oh, we're doing a piece that deals with, you know, a political aspect. How can we reach out to one of the universities in the political science department or reach out to another theater company? Like, for instance, the Alley Theater and the Ensemble Theater, we're both doing more so uh, play this year. And so we've talked about what that means um, to be able to have that shared playwright work being done at two different institutions. And so, of course, beside the traditional marketing exchange, okay, we'll send an e-blast out, you send an e-blast out. We've been sharing artists, we've been sharing ideas for when the playwright does come in. So I think that that's, that's kind of always evolving. Two years ago, we did a piece a collaboration with the Houston Grand Opera. And so there was an original art, original opera that was being written. And we actually, what they did is they did it in different community institutions. So they did it at the Ensemble Theater in our one of our alternate performing spaces. We went to another community, but the Ensemble Theater was a part of that thread each place it went. But it was an opera production that was kind of spearheaded by them, but we were very much a part of the partnership. So it does depend on what that is. And each year it gets stronger or it may be a smaller project or a big project. Like that was a huge project for us in, in our collaboration. Yeah, I think we, uh, uh, we, we strive to be that collaborative with the community. I think we're like a lot of theaters in that for decades, I think the staff or the theater thought of community engagement as a one-way street. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, what we create art and you come consume it, and that's the end of the story. And so there's a lot of, I think, trust building that we have to do that we're serious about inviting the community mm -hmm. into our space and that we're not even elitist amongst our own town, you know, in terms of what it is. So I think it just, you know, we, I would love to be as connected as you guys are. For us, you know, at this point, it's just continually opening up papers, putting their art on our walls, you know, giving them discounted tickets, and then doing a lot of things to get out of our to like go to them, to take things to them, to go talk to them about the shows and, and not think of our building as the end all be all to where our, our, mm -hmm created um, because we don't we don't have a great track record in terms of our doors being open to the entire community so part of what we're doing is trying to just regain their trust as mm -hmm. we do that 
I attended the Intersection Summit, which was held at Milwaukee Repertory Theater last spring, um, and it was a convening for education and engagement practitioners. And, and one of those big conversations that was had over that weekend was just kind of about the steps you theaters need to take before you open your doors and welcome people in, um, and just kind of talking through a lot of the EDI work and some just reflecting internally on theaters' values before kind of reaching out and and bringing other folks in. So I was just curious um, what sort of work you do internally at your theaters that kind of prepares you for the work that you do externally. So one of the, the, so Lowell, where our theater is located, the the town has a 25% Cambodian population. And in the, really in the last decades, we have not done a great job of reaching out to that community, programming that community, or making them a part of the work that we do. So um, this past year, for the first time, I think in 17 years, we had a Cambodian playwright uh, and a mm-hmm. Cambodian play on stage. But we knew that it wouldn't be enough just to, you know, we didn't want to fall into the trap of just saying, like, we put on this Cambodian show. Aren't you all so happy? And aren't you going to come see it? Um, so we really had to do a lot of initiatives in advance, which mainly meant bringing the performer, Vichet Chum is his name, in town in the months leading up to it so he could go out and talk to people he could go out and meet people um it involved taking out ads that are in Khmer, which is the cambodian language not assuming that they would read english and then we had a donor who subsidized the ticket so that we could reach out to the cambodian community and say you know we'd love for you to be a part of this here's a five dollar ticket here's a ten dollar ticket because Theater isn't even the main art form of that culture. And so to assume that they were suddenly going to pay $35 to come see it, it's just not going to be a part of it. So it had to be kind of part of a multi-year plan to be able to invite them in to be able to do it. But you're right. We we had to figure out how to get out of our building and how to empower Vichet and let him go talk on behalf of the organization to these people so that they could really feel like um, one of them was on stage. And, of course, for that show... You know, when we did it, it was packed full of Cambodians to be able to yes. it, which is a huge, <laughs> uh, which is a huge thing for us. And so now we have to figure out, like, great, so that that went well. Congrats, everyone. What are we doing this year to follow up on it? You know, how do we continue to, uh, if we really are going to reflect our community, that's going to be a huge shift in our programming because they're they're twenty five percent of our city, but nowhere near twenty five percent of the work that you see on our stage. So we have we have we have a lot of work to still do, but. Um, we're taking the first steps to be able to really try to authentically invite them in. Uh, I I don't know. I think that um, I don't know that we're doing anything in particular to um, to address that issue, Allison. But because we're so embedded in the community every day, we're always creating these partnerships with different community entities. So between my artistic director, our executive um, director, the tournament education person, the artistic associate, we're either going to some community project and talking about the ensemble theater or bringing a small mini performance. We do a lot of that. Like we just put together a piece that we can do anywhere externally. So we, it would whether it be a song, a monologue, the kids doing some small little five minute piece, and we take that out to different, like Shell Oil Company 
or the 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 um, black employees of Exxon or uh, somebody that uh, wanted something to happen at their church. So we do that a lot. So and that's our way of being able to reach out into the community. But I but to to piggyback to well off of what Sean just said. So we just finished a play we closed last night called The Kink in My Hair, and it was it dealt with the Caribbean. Um, Caribbean people. So we had to find, we wanted to make sure that we were able to bring that to that audience. So what one of the things that we did was we actually got our dramaturg or the, the dialect coach to um, work with us. And it was one of our subscribers that we knew very well that was from the Bahamas and Jamaica. And so we said, okay, what better person to teach us dialect, you know, than someone who has lived and read that all their life, right? Instead of getting a more traditional person that knows the book length, the book process of how to do it, we went to the real pe to the people. And so she was one of the people that uh, worked with us on dialect. And because of that, and because of her connections in the community, in that, with that, uh, with the, you know, Caribbean people, she was able to have us tap into another group of people that we had not been able to do. So that's what we mean about trying to get the people in the community to come and to partake in the journey that we're taking, whatever that particular play calls for. And that happens, you know, really every, in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you're both very invested in the engagement and education work at both of your theaters, but something I was curious about, Sean, you mentioned the word radical transparency. So I just was wondering if you could both talk about the importance of having leadership and, you know, you're both the public figure of the, and represent, represent your theaters, what that means to, to be really spearheading these initiatives and, and how that filters down throughout the rest of the company. Um, I think that engagement is a job of the artistic department. <laughs> I think uh, at so many places, it's a marketing uh, idea. And so there's always this weird tension between like what marketing wishes that you would do. And then this um, this artistic idea that if you let people into the room, it will somehow sour the process. And therefore, you have to stay away until the work is created. And um, I think that's what artistic departments want to do and what budgets say are ultimately what organizations are actually about. And so if you really believe in engagement, it has to be artistically led because as the artistic director, I can say all rehearsals and production meetings are open to the community that wants to come be a part of it. And everybody might complain, but they're going to do it, you know. So it's not it's not if, if marketing is trying to, to push it onto us, we're going to be really limited in what it is. And so I think What's radical about it is that we believe it's part of our artistic process to invite the community in, that it's part of, the part of creating work involves them from the very beginning. And um, that affects the type of artists that we hire. You know, some people are built for having the community there and some people are not. Uh, the type of work that we do, some playwrights are our game for it and some are not. Um, and it just really forces us to rethink what we do, knowing the community will be a part of it. And I think that's something only an artistic department can mm -hmm. do. That's interesting because earlier you were saying how, you know, you have been able to build audiences and sell tickets and, but it's not, that wasn't, you know, what you, that's just a product of what you're doing from the artistic side of things so yeah it was, it, it's really funny at, at every turn people always ask us like so how do you make money off this 
you know, or how do you get to donate? And so we, we really try to make sure that's not what the goal is. There's no pitch that comes to these people at the end. We don't ask them for money. The majority of them do end up giving more if they can because they're invested. But, you know, people see through an ask coming a mile away, and that really sours the relationship. So we, none of these things are meant to sell tickets. They're just meant for us to be an actual community leader. And, and you know, I, I I love hearing you say that, Sean, because I believe that that's what our art is anyway. I mean, we do the art, yes, we do a play that play runs for so many weeks. You have you know, all of that, but it's about the connection between what happens in our world, in life, and 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 our patrons or our community. That's what's important. I mean, when I think about the Ensemble Theater Week. So our mission is to preserve the African-American artistic expression to enrich and enlighten and entertain a diverse community. So when I take that and I look at that and I go, what does that mean mm -hmm. for our community? How, how do we as an institution, as a theater, you know, lay that out so that people are, the different aspects of that are being addressed within our community. Um, and that that's based on not just the art that we present, but that that is based on, you know, the relationships that we develop with everyone, whether it be the subscriber, the individual funder, the corporate founder, the, the artists themselves, the board, the staff. I mean, it, it, it combines all of that. And when I look at what our name is, an ensemble, we really take that to heart because Again, we are trying to create a a, a a a a space where we can all have this transparency. Uh, our motto is that the, where the ensemble is, um, the E is for everyone, and everyone counts. Hmm. And so it's like, yeah, everyone is, you know, every one of you. I, and it's funny because during the kink, somebody just sent me an email the other day. And, and it was a, a Caucasian woman, gay Caucasian woman. And she sent this email and she said, oh, I love this part in the play because I really understand now you're right. The E is for everyone and everyone counts. And I thought, oh, I never looked at it like that. <laughs> it was another, you know, it was just another perspective because there was something in that that, uh, that affected her and had her to think a different way because that's always our struggle, guys. We're an African-American institution. So then we get funders, we get subscribers, we get individual donors, and they'll go, well, why should we give to you all? Why couldn't we just go to the larger institution down, uh, you know, downtown and just give our money to them? They do one or two plays that are diverse a year. Isn't that enough? Why is it that the ensemble theater should even exist? And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. So <laughs> now, okay, that now we have to help explain uh, what, why our mission is such and why our stories need to be told. So that's a whole education that you have to do. We have to do constantly. To, to make sure that people understand that our stories are stories that are viable, that speak to a, a uh, to the African-American experience, yet they speak to the universe, they're universal, because there's always something in every story that someone can tap into. So that is a, that becomes a part for us as a, as a uh, theater of color, part of our educational, um, you know, kind of challenge that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and can I ask, how, how do you feel that education goes? Do you see your, your audience growing or changing? 
Well, I think it does both. It really just depends because we do make people aware of that. I mean, when they ask that all the time, our audience is pretty diverse. When you come to the ensemble theater, you're going to see out of, you know, like 75% attendance, you're going to see probably five to 10% that are not people of color and cast consistently. And so when people come here, they go, oh, I didn't know white people came here. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, we're an institution, we're a theater, you know, we're producing plays. They, you know, they see something in the work that we do, just like we as an African-American, I go see plays at other institutions. So that kind of, I think it, it does, you definitely, we have definitely seen the continued growth. Uh, and then it also depends on, I mean, we are in the South, we're in the Bible Belt state. So sometimes that can be a hindrance or it can be it can be for or against. That's another part of the education that takes place as well. So I think education is more than just, okay, Turing education, we do that and we do that. There's a certain education that has to happen from from all areas, which is what Sean was saying when he was talking about inviting the audience into rehearsals or helping them the whole the court and uh, you know this whole radical transparency. It's so much of all of that, which is everything that we all are trying to do as uh, artistic leaders. Yeah, of course, and I can imagine some of that education and some of the ideas that you want to get across and share your mission ties into season planning as well. So I was just curious what both of you have lined up for this season that you're particularly interested in or excited about? You go, you go first. Oh, me? <laughs> uh, I, I get excited about it all because I just, <laughs> I'm just so thankful that we get to make art. Or as one of my girlfriends from New York says, she says, oh, we get to play. And I'm like, you can't say that because people don't understand that when they hear that, they go, oh, that's why it's not really a real job. Oh yes, it's not called show business for nothing. Show business, we do this all the time. But I think for the ensemble theater, we have about four out of the six plays, four of them are regional premieres. And that's exciting for us. So that this is the second, maybe third production of plays that are being done. And um, so we're doing a piece called Too Heavy for Your Pocket. Gerard, his, his piece was done at the Roundabout Theater. And we're excited about that because now it's being done all over the country. Uh, again, Dominique's piece, Pipeline. Yeah. And, uh, and then so, uh, you know, and then we just finished The Kink, which was a play with music. And the playwright just came down to see that. So those plays not only speak to our audience, but they're definitely challenges for the, our artists as well and it it helps the audiences to see i mean when people hear about us doing pipeline and it was just done you know at the um in new york at the what was it the um lincoln center oh, lincoln center thank you thank you allison done at the lincoln center that gets them excited because then they feel like oh well we're we're getting a little piece of new york here you know but it's set in detroit i mean they get you know they kind of make love making that connection so I think with, with the main stage, it's that. With Turing Education, it's all the other things that we're doing. We have a, a great opportunity this year. Uh, I'm one of the recipients of the Bowl Women's Theater Grant. Uh, and so we have been able to hire more female designers as a result of that this season. That has been truly exciting to be able to bring that to our community and show, look, we had an all-female band all-female uh, show, all-female design team, except for the sound designers. 
And that got people, at first I thought, oh, people are going to get mad. They're going to think we start, you know, they're going to think we're man bashing. or Because you never know what people are thinking, right? But they were very supportive of the fact that we were able to have this, get this grant to empower women and to, uh, to do different workshops and opportunities that we're going to be doing in the future. So that's our season, kind of. That's some of the things that we're going to be doing this year. That sounds great. Uh, it's so it's so funny that you say your audience loves to know that things come from New York. the The first bit of advice I got when I when I took over this theater is is someone told me um you have to remember New England hates New York. Ah! Uh, so they they really pride themselves on not having the work that they do dictated by New York. You know, they think it's somehow tied into the Red Sox and Yankees. Uh, so. Uh, one of the things that we, we we do all new work and we have a bunch of world premieres this year and we have um, we have a world premiere by Lauren Gunderson and a world premiere adaptation uh, by Jack Kerouac and both of them deal with the same issue which is how do you learn to love someone in your family that has different political views than you um, Lauren is writing about her conservative Georgia grandfather and Jack Kerouac was writing about his racist Massachusetts father uh, and this idea of, which I think is the conversation that all of us are having every day. Like, can you ever learn to agree with someone who agrees with you 90%, but that 10% of what's different, you really identify as a person and you feel like, you know, both of you feel like the other person is destroying the country um, at any given moment. And so, you know, I think we're thrilled by doing those pieces because we feel like, it's a, it's a rare moment that you get to actually have a conversation in the theater about what everybody is talking about that day at work and what everybody is talking about as they get ready to go home for Thanksgiving. Like, how do you bring up politics if everyone at your family dinner table voted for different people? Um, mm. In my family, we just um, we make the very chicken choice, which is to just not talk about politics the entire time. That is the only way to get through Thanksgiving. Um, but clearly, it's a thing. And you know, Jack Kerouac was writing about 1941, and Lauren Gunnison is writing about 2010, and they're both writing about the exact same subject. So it's clearly um, something our country has not figured out how to have productive conversations about. So we're, we're thrilled to do those world premieres because we feel like it's going to do this exact thing we're talking about where we invite the community in and say, you know, here's this thing you were talking about this afternoon, people were talking about in 1941, talking about 2010. How far have we come or not come in these conversations? That sounds great. Well, I feel like I could talk to both of you. I have so many questions like all afternoon. It's amazing to hear the work that you're doing. Um, but we do have to wrap up. So I just wanted to know if there you if either of you either had questions for each other or any last minute parting thoughts. I guess I'm always I'm always curious about like how like how do you do the education about why it's vital that you do the the work that you do? Is it in a like one-on-one -on -one setting? Is it in a um, group setting? Is it in pre-show speeches? Like, like you know because we're like any organization. We have like a fire hose of information that comes at our patrons. And I really sometimes have no idea how much they take in unless we're talking to them one-on-one -on -one about what something is. So I'm just curious, like how, like the nuts and bolts of how you do that, uh, convincing people that the, the work that your theater does is vital. I, I, I think it's just a, it's a combination of everything that you just said. It's, it's, it talking with them individually. It is, um, you know, asking them to come in and, and see 
some of the work when it's before it's ready. It's talking to them when they're doing the when we're doing the dialogue exchange. I'll do a, I'll give you an example again. Yesterday, because it was closing weekend, we had one of our patrons, her and her husband, came to see the kink in my hair. Well, the kink in my hair deals with African American uh, women in a salon and all of the issues that happen when they're in this salon. And so she is, her and her husband are mature, and they're one of our biggest uh, supporters as well. And uh, and so they are a, a mature couple, and they're not of color. And she said, I, she said to me at intermission, she said, I'm just not getting this. She said, Eileen, I need you to help me because I'm not getting this. And I said, what do you mean you're not getting this? She said, well, I don't understand the story. And I said, oh, I said, are you, uh, is it the, uh, the actors in their, in their speech pattern? Or she said, some of that, I said, well, you know, the two of the characters are speaking in dialect, so that might be part of it. And she said, but I don't understand what they mean. So it just so happened we had a group of, and so what I found out was that she didn't understand that world of being in a beauty salon. Because that was not one that she ever had to deal with. So it just so happened that the one of the groups, there was a, two groups of um, salon stylists that came to the show that day. And one of them was a Caucasian man, young man, about, you know, looks like he could be in your age range, Sean. And so he was there. And so I go, I said, would you explain to, um, you know, uh, um, this lady for me, what this world is, you know, how this world is prominent in your world. And he said, oh my gosh, my stylist, we're probably the loudest things up here because we know this world in and out. <laughs> and so instead of it coming from me, cause it, you know, instead of me actually being the one, I just spontaneously pulled in him because, and I don't know him. I didn't even know him at all. I had just met him yesterday. And he started talking to her about this is that world. It's like a barbershop world. And, you know, that's about the culture of the people. So she began to understand it. And they stayed for act two because they were going to leave. And not leave being mad or frustrated, but just because they didn't get an understanding. So then one of my goals will be today, uh, once I get through with these couple of conference calls I have, is to call and ask her how she's doing. How was that too? Because I didn't get to finish talking to her at the end of the show. And just see, so that's what that's what we have to do. You know that as artists, we have to like make that connection, make it again. So it's like several times that you have to cultivate that because you don't want her to go away feeling she doesn't have a clue of what just happened. You want, but yet she may not totally understand, but at least you're laying everything out there as much as possible for her to have an idea about it. So I think it's a constant educating or just kind of figuring things out. And it depends on the situation and what that, you know, what that is. But I, th I think that's amazing that like you're, you're there at intermission and you're catching somebody who is about to leave. Yes. Uh, and yeah. ask them like that. <laughs> you're, you're braver than I am. You know, people, people look like they're getting ready to leave and you know, it's like, uh, I, I I would hope that I would have the courage to go ask them why they're leaving and um, you know <laughs> see if there's a way to get them back in. But I think that. But, but so you just said it though. 
you just you just did it by saying that you know having the courage and that's that's what we do every day it's courageous how we have to we make art so that you can't get any more courageous than that guys <laughs> so i mean every day we're put, put we're putting all of our stuff out here for people to make be be judgmental or like or not like and it's like okay listen all i can do is do the work I'm going to do the work to the best that I can do it. And now let's see what happens. So I think that, okay, if that was courageous and so be it, but I think it's important for us to be able to, like you said, you, I, I think it's courageous of you to bring people in that say they don't like the play. Yeah. And then you all have a you all have a discussion. That's hugely, you know, and it, that's an in, that's an ingenious way of looking at it. And it's like, okay, let's talk about this. So it's the same thing. It's just that I did it one on one because she she came to me, and I might not have known if she hadn't felt comfortable coming to me and saying, Eileen, I want to ask you something. So, yeah, so we're both doing it. Yeah, well, I think that's a great example. Um, uh, it, it's, I think it's amazing that you say that. I always think like half the job of being an artistic director is to remove the venom out of patrons, you know? Like when they say they're upset, you have to be like, well, I'm so sorry that you felt that way, we did it. And I, and I always wonder like, what if we didn't? You know, what if we were like, why did that upset you? Why didn't you understand that? What, you know, what has that rubbed you wrong about? And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe then it feels a little less like, we're just being defensive that you didn't like the work. You know? Right. Well, I always say that we're the biggest cheerleaders because we have to we have to be the cheerleader. We're the head cheerleader and we have to rally all the troops every time. And um, you know what I've started doing, Sean, to help me with some of that, instead of it just coming from me, I'll start quoting August Wilson, Zora Neale Hurston. I'll quote, I'll pull out everybody that I love their work and I'll find a quote that speaks to something that they just said. And well, how are they gonna argue with how, how are they gonna argue with Maya Angelou? They can't do that. They're not gonna argue with Maya. Even if they don't like her, they're gonna go, well, it is Maya. I'm not gonna say that. I'll pull a quote out on them in a minute. <laughs> That's great. Well, I just wanted to thank you both so much for taking the time to do this, and I'm glad um, that you connected. I think one of the, the big takeaways from working on this engagement and education issue is that a lot of the folks that I talked to felt they didn't have um, there, there's not a national conversation about it, about best practices and what people are doing. So I hope that this inspires other people to start connecting and, and sharing how they collaborate and build their community. So thank you both so much. Oh, thank, thank you, you Allison. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this series. Special thanks to our podcast producer and editor, Kirby Pate and to TCG's Audience Revolution program for supporting this series. Please rate and review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Considine for American Theatre. See you next time on Offscript. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.